Amen. This morning we take our copies of God's Word to Matthew chapter 15, please. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus has been showing us something over and over that it isn't so much about our outer appearance as it is inner righteousness. It's not so much what is on the outside as what is on the inside. And the only way you can be pure on the outside and be effective on the outside, on the inside, or on the outside rather, is to have Jesus Christ as the center of your life. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1, the inhibitions of traditions. Look with me at this. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Now there's a difference here between legalism and holiness. A lot of times people want to throw around the definition of legalism because it's something that they don't like. But God isn't against rules. He's against rules that interfere in relationships, specifically the relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. You know it's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. But Jesus isn't just concerned with our words or our actions, but rather with our motive, what Hebrews describes as the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That is, the Word of God is a discerner of it. Years ago, the Queen Mary was the largest ship to cross the ocean when it was launched in 1936, bigger than the Titanic's. And through four decades and a world war, she served until she was retired, anchored as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. Perhaps some of you have been to it. During her conversion, her three massive smokestacks were taken off in order to be scraped down and repainted. But when they took them off the boat and placed them on the dock, they crumbled. Nothing was left of the three-fourth-inch steel plate from which the stacks had been formed. All that remained were more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the years because the steel had rusted away. I remember years ago, my brother and I would go to our great aunt's home, Hazel Hall, who was a longtime part of this church as well, and we would paint her fence in her yard. She had a white picket fence, and we would do everything that we could to paint it. But it had gotten so old that every time we would paint, it would just get in worse and worse condition. And uh, Bill said to me this morning, we passed out the Cracker Jacks. He said, where's the, where's the Coke to go with it? Well, she didn't give out Cokes, but she gave out that hard candy and the Pepsis. And I, I tell you what, for breaks, we really thought we were living large. We would paint that with everything that we could every year, and it kept getting worse. You know, sometimes you think you can just paint over it, but if you don't deal with the root cause of the issue, you're really not resolving anything. Jesus describes the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. He means that they have no substance. There's only an exterior appearance. You know, it's possible to look good on the outside and still be dead on the inside. 
And in the scripture, the people who seem to have it all together are often the ones who are in greatest danger. The great problem lies not from without, but from within. The greatest enemy you will ever face doesn't reside in Washington, doesn't reside overseas, doesn't reside in the schools or in your place of work or in your home or anywhere else. The greatest enemy you will ever face is you. The greatest enemy I will ever face is me. Martin Luther, while on the run from the persecution of the Catholic Church of the 1500s, remarked, I fear my own heart more than the Pope and all his cardinals, for I have within me the great Pope self. You know, traditions in and of themselves aren't bad things. If you've ever had the privilege to sit in the Evensong service at Westminster Abbey, an institution that has been in place since the 1200s, has inaugurated nearly every king and queen in British history, the connection to Protestantism within that church and to sing hymns of the faith during a service there. If that doesn't move you, there's something wrong with you. A lot of people want to say, do away with traditions. Do away with institutions. Let's start all over again. But the reason that we have traditions and institutions is because somebody somewhere at some time figured out something that we ought to know. And if we're not careful, we will lose the good with the bad. In fact, my fear is that sometimes in the name of squashing traditions, we do that. We throw out the good with the bad. Traditions aren't always wrong. The problem occurs when we start treating things outside the Bible like they're inside the Bible. And so what we do is we confuse principles with preferences and we confuse standards with styles. We make things that are secondary issues into primary issues and then we fail to keep primary issues and turn them into secondary issues. We begin to add prohibitions outside of God's word. And so here were the disciples washing their hands before eating, and the Pharisees asked the question, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, as he so often does, turns the question around. He goes from the surface issue to the heart of the matter. This had happened before in Jesus' ministry. Why do your disciples not fast? And Jesus said, you don't need to fast while the bridegroom is with you, but when the bridegroom is away, that's when you fast. They had asked him elsewhere, why do you eat on the Sabbath? Why do you do good on the Sabbath? And Jesus will respond because the Sabbath was given for man and not man for the Sabbath. And here he responds to the Pharisees' question of the disciples not washing their hands after the tradition of the elders. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? This is why in verse 4, God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And then he says, but if anyone, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he does not need to honor his father. And so what they were putting in was a clause to say, hey, you don't have to honor your father and mother if you're a good Pharisee. And Jesus was saying, no, the opposite is true. You're breaking the commandment of God because of a tradition. And he would say to us, we're not responsible for having good parents, but we are responsible for being good sons and being good daughters. We have a mandate 
to care for them in time of need, to honor them as best we can. And so Jesus will say, you hypocrites. He'll say, you pray in public so others will hear you. You toss your change in the offering plate to be seen of men. You spent so much time serving in the name of serving God that you failed at the very things that he's commanded you to do. He says to the Pharisees, you don't honor your father and your mother. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. You don't minister to the least of these sharing God's good news of salvation. So you've fed your body, but you've starved your soul. Well, we spend a lot of time focusing on doing things right. And well, we should. We should do things with excellence. Everything we do, we ought to do it right. But Jesus tells us we should be far more concerned about doing the right things. The Pharisees would have been able to teach the business seminars of their day. They did things right. They did things with excellence. They just didn't do the right things because their heart was in the wrong place. And Jesus says to them and to us, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now, that almost sounds contradictory because God says in Isaiah 55, 11, that his word will not return void. But here we have a message that says the word of God has been made void for the sake of man-made traditions. And Jesus uses the prophet's words when he declares, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. You see, Jesus looks beyond the outward appearance toward the inward heart. He points out Simon the Pharisee who gets upset because in his home, a woman comes with a jar of alabaster ointment and pours it at the feet of Jesus. And he begins to argue, why couldn't she give this to the poor? Why couldn't this be done for other matters? And Jesus says, those who are forgiven much love much. She has given her all. You know, your heart is really the command and control center of your life. What you put in will eventually come out. The things that you think are done privately will one day be exposed publicly. I was coming out of the annex before Bible groups this morning came through the hallway, came out. Jim and Tammy didn't think anyone was there. They sneaked in a kiss that I saw one day. <laughs> things will be revealed. And while the world tells you to follow your heart, the Bible tells you that your heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the heart wants what it wants. But what if your heart wants isn't what God wants? See, your heart, left to itself, will often lead to hell. And the danger for us in life is not that we would fail. It's that we would succeed in everything except for the battle of the heart. You remember on April 20th, 1999, those of you that were old enough, at Columbine High School, Dylan Claybold and Eric Harris killed 12 students and one teacher and injured 24 others before taking their own lives. A few years later, an interview ran in a magazine that featured an article by Dylan's mother by the name of Susan Claybold where she offered her perspective on those events from years ago. She talks about how she was perceived by other people as an accomplice to the feelings, to the killings, because she had raised a monster. In a newspaper survey taken just after the shootings, 83% of respondents believed the killings happened because Dylan and Eric's parents did not teach them proper values. 
She writes, Dylan was a product of my life's work, but his final actions implied that he had never been taught the fundamentals of right and wrong. There was no way to atone for my son's behavior. She goes on to write, listen to this. In raising Dylan, I taught him how to protect himself from a host of dangers, lightning, snake bites, head injuries, skin cancer, smoking, drinking, sexually transmitted diseases, drug addiction, reckless driving, even carbon monoxide poisoning. It never occurred to me that the greatest danger to him and as it turned out to many others might come from within. The greatest danger we will ever face is ourselves. And God help us if we teach our children everything we think they need to know about life, but we don't teach them about sin. We don't teach them about the greatness of God. We don't raise them to obey his precepts and follow his way. See, that Pharisee in our heart is, is always lurking. He, he's always there. The church around us grows more religious and less holy. The world is a very religious place. Everyone worships something. But if we worship traditions and rituals at the expense of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we've replaced the image of God with the image of self. So if you've got religion, but you don't have relationship, your religion, James tells you, is worthless. See, the question isn't, will my traditions continue? That's not the question. The question is, will my sins be forgiven? You know what causes Jesus the most trouble in the Gospels? It's church people. It's people who know the law. It's people who, who know the writings, and yet their heart is in the wrong place. The greatest battle he fought wasn't from the outside, but from the inside. They, they knew the commandments of God, and yet they had forsaken it because of their tradition. So how do we respond? Well, the Bible says there's only one way to respond. We have to have a change of heart. And my change of heart has to occur every day. I have to reorient my heart away from sin and towards God, renewing that inner man day by day. I have to be in God's word, standing in his word. I have to remind myself why it is that I do what I do. A lot of times we do what we do, not even thinking about doing it because we've always done it that way. And that's not really good enough. There's conjecture as to whether or not all of this is true, but it's an interesting thought. And there's different, definitely some connections here. So I'm not claiming this is how it exactly happened, but it makes a little bit of sense if you think about it. The United States standard railroad gauge is four feet, eight and a half inches, four feet, eight and a half. So how do you wind up with such an odd railway width? It's because that was the, the width of the English railroad building that they brought with them to America. And so why did the English build them this wide? Because the British rail lines were built by the same people who built the pre-railroad tramways, and that's the gauge they used. So why did they use this gauge? Because the same jigs, tools, and people who built wagons built the tramways and used the standard wagon wheel spacing. Wagon wheel spacing was standardized due for a very practical, hard-to-change, and easy-to-match reality. When Britain was ruled by Rome, Roman war chariots... In true bureaucratic fashion, all used a standard spacing between their wheels. Over time, this spacing left deep ruts along the extensive road network that the Romans built, and if the wheel spacing didn't match the Roman ruts, 
the wheels would break. And so the Roman standard was derived after trial efforts of early wagon and chariot builders. They determined that the best width that would accommodate two horse hind ends was four feet, eight and a half inches. Thus, the United States standard railroad gauge is a hand-me-down standard based upon the original specification for a Roman war chariot. But it doesn't stop at railroads. Two big booster rockets attached to the sides of the main fuel tank that used to lift the space shuttle into orbit are made those solid fuel rocket boosters, SRBs, are made at a Utah factory, and the engineers who design the SRBs ship them from factory to launch site by train. The railroad from the factory runs through a mountain tunnel only slightly wider than the railroad track. Even if these engineers wanted wider rockets, the railway gauge limits their design. Modern space shuttle design follows horse hind ends. If we do what we've done just because we've always been doing them and never evaluate why we're doing them, Jesus says you missed the whole point. This needs to happen both personally and corporately. You need to be asking these questions. Why does my child play this sport? Why do I spend money on this hobby? Why do I fill my calendar with all of these activities? Here's the reason we worship God, because he's worthy of worship. The reason we advocate Bible groups is so we can bear one another's burdens. The reason we have to go outside these walls and see everything and everyone around us as a mission field is because God has loved us and he commands us to show and share that same love with others. These Pharisees are concerned with outer works, but Jesus is concerned with inward righteousness, what we often describe is holiness. And the truth is, we're all hypocrites. We all need a new heart. And when you feel that your heart can't go on, you go with the words of the psalmist who says, God is the strength of my heart to give a love for his word and a constant evaluation from his spirit and from his body. Don't ever make the mistake of doing things simply for the sake of doing things. A lot of times we just hand people the keys to something and we say, go do this, and we never explain the why behind why you do it. Because when you understand the why, the purpose, that makes all the difference in the world. Why should we sing and worship? Because we feel like singing? Because we can make a good vocal note? No, because our God is worthy of praise. Why should we get together in fellowship in Bible groups? Because the Bible says there's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. We need one another for accountability. Why do we get it outside the walls? Because there is a world in desperate need of Jesus. And God has called us to bring them in, to raise them up, and to send them out so that they might be all in for Christ. And so rather than breaking the commandments of God for their traditions, let us be people who will keep his commandments and live every day for his glory, for a God who is not concerned with the outside, but with the inside. I want us to bow our heads for just a few moments, and we'll be done. I want to invite our praise team to come, but I also want to have a special time of prayer this morning to invite each of us to examine our hearts you know, I'm so grateful that you're here this morning. In a certain sense, it doesn't really matter why that you're here because you're under the Word of God. But in another sense, you do need to ask yourself, why is it that I'm coming? 
What is my motive for being in church? There's a lot of things. Maybe you say, I want to be encouraged by God's word. That's a good reason. Maybe you say, I want to see family and friends. That's not a bad reason at all. Maybe you say, I'm going because I'm supposed to go. Sometimes that's what pushes us through. But today, would you ask yourself, am I keeping traditions more than I am God's commandments? Am I more concerned with the way that things have always been done than I am with honoring and obeying the commandments of God? Friend, this morning, if you're a believer, God is speaking to you. He is inviting you right within the fullness of his word to trust in him. The Pharisees had everything right except one thing. They didn't know how to worship. And if you know how to do everything else, but you don't know how to worship, you've missed the whole point. Our God is a God that's worthy of worship. And we not only worship him with music and with song, but we worship him with our very lives. The Bible says whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, we do it all to the glory of God. Worship can be at work. Worship can be at home. Worship can be with you and the Lord because worship is an attitude of my heart. Do you know him today? Are you trusting him? Have you committed to him that before you even know the question, yes is your answer for Jesus? Would you give your all for Jesus? Father, this morning, it is our prayer that as we seek your face, we would not go as people, Lord, who are empty, who are void of your commandments, who are doing what we do simply for the sake of tradition. But may we be people who live every day under the power and the authority of your word. I pray that out of these people, you would raise up a generation that's all in for Christ. You would send us out so that others may know. Lord, thank you for the history of this church. Thank you for what you've done. But Lord, I thank you that the God who worked back then is at work today too. And though it may look different, we serve the same God, a living Savior who's in the world today. Father, help us to worship you, to tell the world of Jesus mighty to save. It's in his name we pray. Amen.